Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and welcome to the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. I love to work with CEOs and their teams on the people stuff in leadership. It's the greatest joy and the greatest challenge we have as leaders, that's for sure. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine. It's, his name is Professor Nick Klomp, and he is the current Vice Chancellor and President of CQ University. <laughs> that's really hard to say, actually. CQ University in Australia, based out of Rockhampton. I met him first about five or six, seven years ago, I think, when he moved in next door with his lovely wife, Sue, and they became our neighbors and steadfast friends. And I was struck initially, and as always since then, by Nick's energy and enthusiasm. He goes a million miles an hour and is a vivacious, gregarious person. He invited me to come and do some work with him, with some of his team at the University of Canberra, where he worked prior to CQ University as the deputy vice chancellor there. And I worked with the teaching and learning team for a couple of years, actually, on their people stuff. And it was a great joy and privilege to do so. So not only have I had the chance to be a great neighbors and friends with him, I've also got to see his leadership live and up close and personal with his team as well. And in this interview, we cover off on some of his great, vast experience in the university sector. So I mentioned the two roles. And prior to that, he was the dean of faculty of science at Charles Sturt University. And he's had, just had such an enormous portfolio in the university higher education sector and been recognized with a number of different publications and for his research in applied ecology and environmental science. So he is a very smart dude, <laughs> he's a very smart dude, a very enthusiastic person and completely committed to leadership in higher education. I am so excited to bring this interview to you. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please share this podcast with someone. Click forward and let them be entertained, energized by the interview that we got. All right, let's do it. Nick, so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Hi, Zoe. How are you going? Yeah, look, things are going really well now, which is great sailing into the winter season coming up. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on the call is because you have such an enormous wealth of experience in the leadership world, in the university sector. And uh, you have a very unique perspective on life, the universe, and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to start with the, what often people find is the toughest question is, how do you define leadership? It's really interesting, isn't it? It, That should be a really easy answer. Simple question, easy answer, Zoe, and it's not. And in fact, I've, over the last 30 years or so, have come across many really great leaders. But the thing that struck me more than anything was how different they all were. Some of them were ruthless, wouldn't bat an eyelid at retrenching the bottom third of of, uh, people in their organisation. Other people were really engaged and worried through the people. Other people thought about community. Some of them were loud, some of them were really quiet. It was really, it made me start to wonder whether there was any consistency in leadership at all. But over time, I've stopped and looked back and I've realised they all had some things. One of them was a vision. They really, you've got to have a vision because people will follow you if you can explain where you would like to go and why it's important to get there. People will follow if they feel as though a vision makes sense to them. But you've got to do it in a, it's got to be believable. You know, if I said, come on, everyone, let's go jump the moon, no one's got to believe it. It's got to be a believable journey as well. And then you've got to have skin in the game. And that's the other thing is that the loud leaders, the quiet leaders, the quiet engagers and influencers, they all still had skin in the game. 
People believed in their enthusiasm and commitment themselves. And then you put all of that together. Yes, there's different personalities amongst all the different leaders of the world, but actually I think all of those sorts of things are things that are in common. What do you mean by skin in the game from a leadership point of view? I think it can't be fake enthusiasm. I think that's what I mean. So here I am as the vice chancellor of CQ University and I can say, come on, let's do this and let's have new teaching systems and let's have new research ideas and new campuses here and there. That's easy to say but people have got to believe that you're there for the long haul, that you're putting the effort in yourself, that you demonstrate that you're lining up the support. For me, it's politically and logistically and that sort of stuff. If you just say something and then are absent, you just say something, but you're saying something different the next week and something different the, the week after. There isn't that integrity, that, that genuine commitment to the vision. So it's partly communication, it's partly enthusiasm, but it's a whole lot of authenticity. You know, you've really got to be authentic about it as well. I love that. That's really cool. And you're new-ish to the role up there. It's been a year and a half, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. right. So as somebody who's had various leadership roles, how do you go about building a team? So you're walking into an established team environment. How do you go as the new guy coming on the block, building that sense of camaraderie and cohesion when you're the new face? Okay, so the scenario you just painted, Zoe, is a new CEO coming in to an established executive otherwise. Um, yeah. So when I came here, and I'm, I'm happy to, to share this with you, when I came here a year and a half ago, I suspected that I might have to lose some of my executive. I expected that some of our visions or approaches wouldn't or even personalities wouldn't align and you really have to have a cohesive executive don't you yeah everyone has to be on the same page so I looked at the executive and the structure made sense to me you know everyone had their different portfolios but there was still a good matrix of people working and communicating with each other but I worried about getting in there and maybe someone had put their hand up for the job that I got or maybe there'd be some infighting that wasn't obvious when I was applying for the job you know so you wonder about all of that culture and indeed in previous roles I'm happy to talk about it I've had to mop up some of the culture. But gee, I was relieved to come through with CQ University and it wasn't just what it looked like from the outside, it was exactly that way. And maybe it's the attitude in regional Australia or maybe it's just I was lucky, but people that are very clear about their portfolios, really clear what they need to deliver for the CEO. That's clear, 80% of their job, just do your job really well. But that other 20% of the time that they look across and say, this decision might not be good for me, but it's good for the organisation and that's the sort of role I play. Oh, that's a relief when you find executives that understand that dual role at the top. And, oh, gee, I've been fortunate. But let me just say, if I hadn't found that, I would have moved people on. I've since rearranged a few things, but you absolutely got to be prepared, as in some of my previous roles. If people don't understand their role as a leader, not just about them and their portfolios, but what's good for the organisation, then it's time for them to move on. So I'd be, I was a bit worried that we wouldn't have shared vision, but as it turns out, we did. And so that's made a whole lot of management decisions, a whole lot of resetting. I'm holding up my new strategic plan for you, Zoe, to see. Beautiful. Um, a whole lot of things in the first year that's really important for a new leader to establish was made a lot easier 
if everyone in your executive is genuinely on the same page when it comes to the vision and your approach and your commitment to the organization. Now, culture is a tricky thing in micro context as well as macro context. And your organization is massive with uh, campuses across Australia mm. and quite a large workforce. What's your approach to embedding culture, maintaining it and monitoring it? Mm. Oh, I, I totally agree. As much as you think that a leader needs to be durable, it's hard to outlast people if the culture is to go slow, to resist, to not quite implement because they're not quite on the same page as you. And after a couple of years, and I've, I've actually been in this situation, you look back and go, why is this so hard for me to make these changes? And of course, then it hits you um, like a bolt from the blue. It's the culture. Yeah, the idea was fine. The methodology was fine. The logistics and even the financial support was there. But people were resisting, even passively, even slowly. And gee, it's hard as a leader to wade through that. It, it feels like you're wading through treacle. So you're absolutely right. You've got to get the culture right. Now, there's a few soft ways and there's a few hard ways to deal with it. If there are people that are obviously not part of the vision, a bit like we were just saying about in the executive, you start at the top. If people don't share the vision that you as a CEO is responsible for delivering for that corporation, it's time for them to leave. So there's no other way around that. They can't be treading water and nodding politely, but they really actually don't get and don't believe where you're going. That's okay. They might be right, but it doesn't matter. They belong in another organisation. You need people that share that vision. You can't be wasting resources and have some people dragging an anchor behind you. So getting the right people at the top is really important, but then getting the vision really, really clear. So it's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that and not changing halfway through and the next shiny object you jump up and you're chasing that. Staff, pick that in a moment. And they go, well, do we have a vision here or are we just chasing shiny things around? So you've really got to be consistent with that vision. And I think then people will understand, even the ones that go, oh, I might not have done that, I might have done this, but I see where the vision is and I know where we're going. So people get behind that. That's a really big thing for culture. And then communicate. You've just got to communicate again and again. And I was a joke, although I'm not joking about it. When you feel as though you're ready to chuck because you said the same thing 10 times, you've probably only just saying it enough. And so often, Zoe, no kidding, I feel like I've said it on video, by email, by newsletters, and I'm walking down the hallway and I mention something to someone on a campus somewhere and they'll say, I've never heard of that. That's the first time I've heard that. I think, where have you been? <laughs> I've said this so many times. So you can almost not communicate too much, particularly when you're going through change. Then you've really got to be prepared to communicate. Before we clicked record, you were telling me about that you did a, um, a little survey of the staff to check on support and we're using a net promoter score. Do you have any other ways to keep tabs on the culture? Do you have a, a systemized way of looking at the, at the fluctuations and development of the culture? Yes. So, so every two years we do a full, what we call a voice survey, a full survey of staff, and, it, and it's really quite detailed to get feedback. And we really promote that. And here's the trick. We really promote everybody's genuine feedback. One of the things that I say to people is because sometimes when you get negative feedback, 
you immediately want to sort of be a bit defensive because it feels yucky. And some people like me read the comments and, and only pay attention to the negative stuff. And some people only pay the pay attention to the positive stuff and they dismiss the negative stuff. They say, oh yeah, that's just a couple of the whingers saying that. No, here is the thing that I tell everybody in my organization. Every piece of feedback is a gift. It's a gift. Even if that piece of feedback is wrong, it's telling you something. It's telling you that some people didn't understand or some people still feel this way. Some people aren't getting the message, even if it's wrong. And let's face it, you've got to stop every now and again and be honest with yourself and say, well, that's a pretty tough bit of feedback, but they might be right. I could do better in this space or that space. So every piece of feedback is a gift. Don't bother your staff for feedback if you're not going to take it genuinely. And I proved that to my staff by then going through them and I showed them my stupid net promoter score with little tallies on, on a dirty great bit of paper on video to show them that I've read every single of 1,100 written comments, every single line and my reactions to it and what I was going to do about it. So that's every two years. But because of COVID-19 and the dramatic changes we've been going through. I did another very quick one over two weeks, just over the last couple of weeks. And I share that with the staff as well, because it was important to find out that I thought I knew what they were worried about, but it was really interesting to see, even over those two weeks, here's an example, it went from worried about health and COVID-19 and their family and them catching the virus. Over those two weeks, it changed to worried about their jobs and redundancies and the financial situation of the university. Now, a CEO sitting in their office and not actually genuinely looking for feedback from staff wouldn't have necessarily even picked that subtle change within a few days. It was quite remarkable how it happened. So they're the sorts of things that if you're really wanting to be, I think, a genuine, authentic leader in, a, in an organisation that as disparate as every mainland state and 3,000 employees and 36,000 students, then you've got to have mechanisms of getting that feedback. And then meanwhile, I'm holding up a card. I know I know, this is a podcast, but it, it says communicate. Let me, let me take a screenshot of that. And what that is, is uh, <laughs> we have ways, I, I have genuine ways of staff being able to send emails at any time to me, to the university. They can do it anonymously. They can do it directly. And we field all of those. And I commit to giving an answer to every query, every question, every comment. So we've got lots, and I'm only telling you a few. I do videos every morning. The last, I think we're up to six weeks now, Zoe. The last six weeks, every morning, Monday to Friday, I've done a video at 8 a.m. and sent it out to staff. Just an update of what's, because there's been so many changes and the world has been turned upside down. That's a way of just giving some reassurance that I'm there, I'm still at work, I'm still listening to feedback, I'm still monitoring what's going on in the outside world and these are the directions and the, and the initiatives that the university is taking over a, you know, a really changing environment. So I think that's given a lot of surety to stuff as well. I can bang on and on and on, but getting that feedback in any way you can find it and multiple channels I think is really important because otherwise you then find yourself scratching your head going, why did they react like that? You shouldn't be surprised you should really have a, a good sense of the pulse of your workforce. So you didn't um, wake up one day and all of a sudden waltz into the vice chancellor's office going, right, I'm doing the vice chancellor job. Leadership is something that we often learn by trial and error. When was the time when you first worked out that maybe you could actually do leadership? The It's taken... <laughs> Listen to me hesitate. So I'm hesitating because actually it might have been a lot of my life 
to slowly work out that I was even capable of it, let alone what it might involve. Isn't that funny? So sometimes cometh the hour, cometh the man or woman sort of stuff, and maybe that's a situation for me. I remember, perhaps as a teenager, I'd often think, gee, I'm surprised when people would follow my, let's go and do this, everybody, and people would would follow me. And I'd often turn around and go, a bit surprised that people are even listening to me. Um, and then I would occasionally see people that were struggling in leadership and I would often be sitting in a crowd going, if only they would describe it this way, if only they would behave that way, if only they would listen to some of the questions. So I could see some people that did it really well. I could see people that didn't do it so well. And I started wondering myself, why do sometimes people listen to me and sometimes they don't? And I guess that learning over lots and lots of years with slowly increasing responsibilities in your career. You know, you become a head of a subject and then a head of a department and then the head of a faculty. You know, you slowly get promoted over time. I think it's taken me all my career, Zoe, to slowly work out what it takes to be a leader. I had the enthusiasm anyway. I've always loved my work and I would only do a job <laughs> that I'm, you know, keen on. So yeah. there was that. I, I'm pretty good at jumping up and down the spot and being excited about things you know what I mean so I can communicate <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah uh, that's not fake and and boy if it was you people would pick that in a second you know you can't fake that stuff or at least you shouldn't because no one's going to believe you but then after that I had to learn plenty I had to learn about about genuine communication I had to learn about genuine listening uh, about feedback and then all the systems and you need to know enough about your sector in this case higher education for me to inspire the confidence in all your staff that you actually have a good idea of what's going on. And then finally, at least once a week on the videos and emails, I tell people what hasn't gone so well this week. So I'm absolutely happy to share with them uh, any frustrations, anything that I could have done better. And I think people like that as well. Otherwise, it sounds like it's a sell job. Gee, is an executive doing a good job when really you're saying executive are facing some really interesting times, folks, and these are how we're making the decisions. We'll get most of it right because we're pretty experienced. Some things will get wrong. We'll even tell you about that as well. There, there's some authenticity there that I think people appreciate. Oh, and transparency too, which is really important. Yeah. yeah. What's been the toughest piece of feedback you've received over your career? Um, I wish I had it right in front of me. In the last two weeks, one person said, well, this one comment said, in response to the question, what are some things we could do better? The response was, get rid of the vice chancellor. <laughs> that was it. It didn't say, and then life will be better because of it. it just said, get rid of it. And it was almost in 1,100 written comments. Some of them are a paragraph or two long. It was kind of the first thing my eyes saw. <laughs> and I think, oh, no. Yes, there's, there's a reality check. Not everyone's going to like you. And not everyone's going to agree with you. And people will, particularly anonymously, but, but if you create an environment where it's safe to do so, people will tell you the good stuff and it's lovely to hear it and they'll tell you the stuff they disagree with as well. And I had to remind myself that was a gift. That was someone <laughs> that felt that I wasn't doing a good job or maybe even felt like this would be a good stir and this will stir him up because he's such a sensitive young fellow. I don't know what they thought when they wrote that. Uh, but it was really an opportunity for me to be sure that people felt as though they could give feedback. Some of the toughest stuff for me, Zoe, is when you get contradictory feedback. If everyone just said, stop those morning videos, I'm sick to death of seeing you, then that would be good feedback. I'd just stop them tomorrow. That'd be good. It's when, uh, in this case, and I'll tell you the real numbers, 15 people said, oh, you could fix it this way or you could make it. They had advice on how to change or fix or stop. 
And then five times as many, 76 people, said, don't you change a thing. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? Do you just go with the numbers or do you say, there's still some good ideas, even in the, in the tougher feedback, there's still some good ideas there. Shouldn't I be open to pick out some of the best ideas even if it doesn't feel comfortable for me, you know, or do I just protect myself by going, most people like me and I don't need to change. I think you've almost got to just drop your ego and look at it all, good and bad, you know, positive and negative, and just say every one of these bits of feedback is an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to be a little bit better. And it's not about you, Nick, it's not about your ego. It's about how you can run an organisation better. So yeah, lots of good stuff, plenty of tough stuff, and but I really do try to welcome it all. <laughs> that takes a lot of courage because some of those gifts feel like a poke in the eye, <laughs> at oh, least <yeah>. at first. <laughs> and, and especially if you're quite, if you've had a tough week, you know, and you're quite vulnerable and you're feeling as though, this is a tough call. It's a 60-40 call. I think I'll go this way. And if the first 10 pieces of feedback is criticising you, you start wondering about your own ability as well. And it's funny, people don't, the leaders that I've run into, the ones that I most admire were the ones that were prepared to share that with me, that sometimes they weren't sure. But the most important thing for them to do was to be decisive, was to, to make a call, even when it was a 60-40 call and it was difficult to make that call, because a lot of people want that leadership anyway. And occasionally you'll get it wrong and be the first person to say, oh, blew that. I've got 90% of it right, but I've got some of this stuff wrong and I'll tell you about that. What I've learned from the people that I most admire as leaders is you do that and people are going to forgive you and people are going to continue following you. Nick, you mentioned um, when people make difficult comments and you can feel a bit wounded by that. I think people really expect leaders to be, or especially if you're a leader of a large organization like yours, you morph into the position instead of the person. And one of the things you said is it's not about you, your ego, it's about the job and the commitment to the organization. Some part of you still gets a little bit hurt and takes a hit. How do you reboot from that? What are your uh, sustaining strategies as a head of an organization to keep showing up day after day? Do you know, and I never thought that was important. And people would talk about it during my, you know, management career and, you know, slowly learning about being a leader. And people would talk about it every now and again at workshops here and there. And Zoe, stupidly, I didn't think that was important. Boy, have I learned. It really is important. You can't hand out life vests if you don't have a, if you're not swimming or have a life vest on yourself. You can only turn up and be the best leader you can be if you're in a good position yourself. Because even feeling grumpy or feeling frustrated with the latest missive from the federal government, for example, that I dealt with this morning, um, that reflects in your communication with others and it reflects even in some of your decisions. So you've really got to be in a good space and it's tough stuff being at the top often. And so you've got to find ways. I understand your question exactly. A leader's got to find ways to look after it. Well, one of them is health. You've got to keep fit. And so, like you, Zoe, I, I try and run most mornings. And because I'm such a lousy runner and because I need every bit of spare oxygen <laughs> to, uh, to keep on running, it, it's like meditation for me. I've got no spare oxygen to think about <laughs> anything else, certainly not to be grumpy with anyone. So that's a good, a good way to spend an hour of a morning. And then you look for these micro breaks. So on a weekend, I take the skateboard out. You've seen me doing it, haven't you, Zoe? Uh, take the skateboard out and just and spend an hour listening to some music and skate 
skateboarding around a car park or down the road. And I put on sunglasses and a hat so no one can see me, so no one knows it's the vice chancellor doing it. But it's lovely. But they do uh, now. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do now. But they haven't seen me. I'm okay. Um, but they, uh, so I sort of look forward to that. And, you know, if it's a tough Thursday, I'll look for, I, I think to myself, oh, Saturday, I'll take the board out and then I'll have a bit of a break. And then two other things very briefly. Uh, Sue, my wife that you know, uh, she's got a really responsible job as well. But being able to get home and not even talking about the particulars, but being able to, to chat about over a cup of tea or over a beer about some of the things that you're worried about. Neither one of us can actually offer specific solutions to the problem, but just being heard that isn't part of your organisation, an opportunity to download a little bit is really important. And then finally, I've just been, I use the word blessed, I've just been so lucky where there's two or three people that I can sort of pick up a, the telephone and give them a ring and chat to them. These are ex-VCs and other people with really uh, a lot of experience, uh, not necessarily in universities, but a lot of experience as CEOs. And they are so generous with their time. And they'll almost pick up the phone and they'll be halfway through a sentence. They're chatting to you about this or that. They, it's never burdensome. It's never some embarrassing long period of pauses in the conversation. It's just chat, chat, chat about everything. And over that five or 10 minute chat, the concerns come out and the worries come out and a couple of little quiet suggestions. It really is lovely to have good mentors like that and it's a lesson to me I feel like I'm a mentor to one or two people formally but I realize that I'm probably a mentor to others that we've just never said that I'm the mentor we just catch up occasionally and chat and kick around with things and you know you've got to pay back don't you and and that's something that I'm really aware of as well there's lots of young aspirant leaders in this organization and many others and I owe it. I owe that sort of support to everybody because I've had plenty of support in my life. Oh, that's good. Now, some of the stuff that you have to deal with, well, in fact, maybe it's all the stuff you have to deal with in leadership is people stuff. And, uh, you know, you're a very gregarious, people-oriented person. What are the things that you find tough when it comes to people stuff? Um, I uh, hate giving bad news. And it, no, I'm really embarrassed to say this because that's pathetic. Surely a boss should be better than that. But just because of COVID-19 and there's been downturns in every industry and CQ University and the university sector across Australia has not been immune to this. So I've had to tell some very senior people that they no longer have a job with us. And this is in the last week. And I've got plenty more coming. And I certainly at that senior level, I know that it's my responsibility that I could have handed off to a vice president, but that would have been gutless, frankly. So I know I have to do it. I know it's my responsibility, but gee, I don't sleep the night before. It's just, I hate that stuff. The maths is easy. You cut your cloth, you've got this amount of money and this is how you've got to spend it in the best way. So the maths is easy, you can justify it easily, but you're dealing with people's lives and livelihoods. And I've, I've never found an easy way of doing that. I just, uh, I keep it short. I, I keep it truthful always. I try and deliver the message with as much respect as I can. But gee, the reactions are just so mixed from tears to, to sort of almost maniacal laughs. And you sort of, I don't know what I, what I worry about more in their reactions and really tough stuff. So I'm lousy at that, Zoe, that stuff that I don't like. Um, what else? I, the budgets are always tough because there's always a dozen other ways of spending money and they're always good things to do. 
Yeah, we don't, we're sort of universities, public universities in Australia are not for profit. So I don't have to make lots of profit. I just can't lose a lot of money. And if I start losing money, I've got to make cuts. But if I've got some spare money or it's a better year, then we uh, give extra support for our students or our communities that we're working in and that sort of stuff. But there's always 10 different ways to spend a dollar. And they're always really good ways. So making those tough decisions, I know it's my job, but that's never pleasant. And you're all, no matter what, you're always going to disappoint someone. That's why they pay us the big bucks, is it, Zoe? I guess it is. Although I've just taken a 20% cut in my pay as part of the, my leadership package. But, yeah, that's why they put you in that job. And I think there's no easy way around that. Just suck it up and get on with it, Nick. So you find that harder than dealing with the culture mess that sometimes you were referring to at the beginning of the call? So you had to walk in and mop up culture where there's silos and tension and stuff. That stuff you find not so bad? No, no, it's a good point. Um, I, I certainly haven't found it a problem at Seeker University, but I was lucky. So in previous roles, who they will go unnamed, Zoe, if you don't mind, um, you wonder after a few months, how come I'm not getting the traction here? And you slowly dawns on you that there's a cultural problem, and then you have to wade through and work out where that resistance is. It might be a group of people or it might be just a significant other and you need a significant other person and then you need to either remove them, sideline them or what I do, turn detractors if you can into disciples by working with them or asking them for their feedback or bringing them inside the tent if you can. So there is a few things you need to do and I get a little bit frustrated by that because I always think it's better for someone to stand up and go, I disagree and here are all the reasons and if you can convince me I'm on board. But not everyone does that. Some people just resist and are just stubborn and make uh, otherwise progress more difficult. So, yeah, that, that sort of changing of culture uh, is necessary. It's a bit of a pain. I've managed to do it over time, but it does take longer than you might think. And it's not something you can avoid. You can have all the best strategies in the world, all the best policies in the world. And logically, you'd win an argument every time. And it still doesn't happen because if the culture of the organisation isn't there, it's not going to happen. So it's important to win that game. Cool. I know you're a very well-read person being at a university. (laughs) I've read all your books, Zoe, if that's what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) There's a test later, Nick. (laughs) Um, What resource do you turn to again and again when it comes to inspiration or practical advice for leadership? Well, gee, I'm looking across... And I've just got a, a bookcase of leadership books. Your few are the best, obviously, but um, the uh, and I'll take I'm, all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good idea. Uh, do you know there isn't even one leader or one text that I've followed, but I uh, dip into lots of different things. I remember. Let, do, you, do you want an example or two? Sure. Uh, one of them. One of them was, it was a text a long time ago. It was some leadership or management course that I was doing, and it must be 15 or more years ago, where we talked about how do you sell a proposition to your staff? This is about culture. And it's an interesting balance between whether they have to own it for it to run with it or whether it has to be your way or the highway because there's no other choice. Now, that's a dichotomy, and but it's not quite as simple as that. You could tell them this is how it's got to be. Now, but you run the risk that people don't own it. Or you could sell it to them and you've bought in a little bit more ownership, but you've still got it your way. Or you could coach them or you could set up a committee 
but you put on the, you decide who the committee is and let the committee make the decision, but it was really your committee, or you just put up the head of the committee. Can you see how, and that sounds cynical, but you can keep on going down this path all the way to everybody, you decide totally yourself, however you want to do it. But, but, but then of course you've lost control of the direction it wants to go. So I often find myself thinking, how important is this for it to be my way? Or is it more important that the staff own the answer because I could live with lots of different solutions to a particular problem? And so that whole continuum, it was yetum and vroom, I think, from memory. Uh, that whole continuum is something that I often use in my decisions on how I'm communicating something. Dear staff, we're gonna do this from now on, love Nick. Or dear staff, <laughs> I'm worried about this problem. Here is some possible solutions, but here is a way that we'll resolve it together. You know, so there's lots of different moves on that. And and you don't, here's a trick, I think, you don't do the same thing again and again and again, because it just looks as though you've only got one tool in your tool bag, you know, one trick pony. So you want to show staff that you've got lots of flexibility and you're prepared to work with stuff in lots of different ways and I think people appreciate that. Oh that's lovely. Uh, thank you for that and I'll look that um, reference up so I'll have that in the show notes for people. Good so last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Oh gee I don't know whether any one person has said this to me but I have to give credit because I probably wouldn't have come up with it with myself. So I'm giving credit to lots of previous leaders and it's about that mix of authentic enthusiasm and communication. And so over, you know, so obvious, and I'm pretty sure it's in, in Leadership 101 in every textbook, Zoe. It's just taken me my, most of my life to get to it. Um, and, and I can't, and I wouldn't stand here and tell you that I've come to it myself. No, I think it's been lots of great leaders that have shown me those examples again and again, and it's gradually dawned on me because I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I, so that's the best. And that would be my first piece of advice when anybody talks to me about I'm thinking about a leadership position. What do you think, Nick? I'll always say, have a vision. Be really enthusiastic about it. If you're not, go get another job. You know, there's plenty of jobs out there. And then communicate it in a really authentic way and be enthusiastic yourself. Don't be bored with it because everyone's going to pick that up as well. I love it. Nick, thank you so much for sharing your uh, your stories and your energy and your uh-huh. insights. I just love talking with you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Zoe. That was great fun. See you, mate. Well, Nick is one of the most favorite people I have in the world. I so enjoy his company and his energy is so infectious. I would agree. And I love that he picks out that's one of the critical things in leadership that he's come to appreciate, uh, not only in himself, but in other leaders. Authenticity, enthusiastic or authentic enthusiasm, communicating and having a vision were some of the key fundamentals that he shared with us, which I think were gold. I think the other one that I'm taking away as well was the Consult and Communicate Continuum by Yedem and Vroom. And I will make sure that link is in the show notes for everyone. I like that. You know, it's like, how much do I need to dictate the solution and how much can I let go and let everybody uh, be involved in it? In term, I love that as a spectrum and the fact that we have choices around that. Brilliant. If you enjoyed this show, please share. I appreciate it. And the people that you share it with will appreciate it too. Plus bonus karma points for you. In the meantime, have a fantastic, fantastic day, week ahead and live well, lead well.